Welcome again to this episode of Holiness Talks. We want to begin by appreciating you for taking the time to listen to this series on holiness. In the last episode, we considered holiness and purity. And we want to continue with that today. We considered Psalm 24 and we saw the importance of that psalm as it relates to what Jesus said in the Beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. But we want to go a little bit further today and talk specifically about purity as it relates to Paul the Apostle. But we need to remind ourselves that when we talk about holiness, the vocabulary of holiness in the scriptures is so rich, or what we call the grammar of holiness that when we want to talk about holiness, we think in terms of sanctification, we talk about cleansing, talk about purity, all these words, even though very different and distinct. And as a matter of fact, could be distinguished in terms of how they function, yet overlap. At least one we could say is that the commonality is the fact that God expects the believer to be holy. Now, when you talk about pure, when you talk about being holy, you talk about sanctity, yes, theologically, we can make distinctions. And also, we can make distinctions when we look at the Old Testament and then look at the New as well. But the goal is still the same. For instance, if one thinks in terms of purity, generally, one thinks about freedom from contamination. So when we talk about purity, it generally refers to a state of being free from contamination, impurity, or defilement. And we know that, of course, it can be physical, it can be moral, or ritualistic in nature. When one looks at the Old Testament and one looks at the language of purity, generally it is ritualistic. But when one comes to the New Testament, particularly in the letters of Paul, there is a movement away from the ritualistic aspect to the moral or ethical aspect. When one talks about the ceremonial or ritualistic aspect, we're talking about holiness in rituals or ceremonies where individuals or objects undergo purification processes to cleanse them from impurities. Or when we talk about symbolic representation, in which case purity denotes a symbolic representation of innocence, cleanliness, or moral uprightness. In other words, it is associated with maintaining a pristine state. So while holiness often has a spiritual or divine dimension, it is clear that purity can encompass a broader range of context, including physical cleanliness. It includes moral integrity or adherence to rituals. Holiness could probably be viewed as a broader concept that includes a sense of separatedness, sacredness, and connection with the divine, whereas it's possible that purity may focus more on the absence of contamination 
But as far as we're concerned in these talks, we want to see that purity, cleanliness, holiness, I mean, whatever language we use has to do with our relationship with God. So when we're talking about holiness as purity, we're talking about holiness as it pertains to the individual and the community as we relate to God. Again, it is possible to be able to separate purity, holiness in terms of vocabulary, especially when one looks at Paul, we see that the, the word field of purity in Paul is very broad. I mean, particularly, you look at the word hagios, which we have considered, which means holy. And then, of course, Paul talked about hagios, and then he talks about akathasia, he talks, that is, uh, uncleanness. He talks about uncleanness and things like that. So Paul definitely has something to talk about impurity. He talks about impurity. Paul says believers should not give themselves into impurity. We're talking about akathasia. So you see, Paul uses that language as well. Then, of course, Paul talks about katharizo. I mean, the katharizo word group. The adjective occurs in Romans chapter 14, verse 20, in the context of clean food, that is undefiled and therefore suitable for consumption. But then a striking example of the verbal form of katharizo is what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where Paul says, cleansing ourselves from defilement. He uses the word molosmos, defilement. And then he says to clean out. He uses the word to clean out. Paul uses the noun purity in, and notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. So what we're saying is that Paul uses quite a number of words for purity. I mean, in terms of the semantic field, let's use that word. In, in the world field of purity. He talks about Agios, he talks about Catharizo, he talks about Akathasia, he talks about Agnotes. So Paul talks a lot about purity. Now let's move away from those technical jargons now and see what Paul has to say as it pertains to us. Let's remember that the goal of these talks is not just to make sure that we have some information and fill our heads with knowledge. No, not at all. It is more than that. Sure, we want to have information. Sure, we want to know what it means. But the goal of this podcast is to encourage each and every one of us as believers, either individually as a community, to live lives that bring glory and honor to God. You see, when Paul talks about purity, he could talk in terms of holiness as pure motivation. So we talk about pure motivation. We see that, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, when Paul talks concerning his behavior and that of Timothy, he makes some important statements. It begins by affirming the manner in which he and Timothy have lived in holiness and sincerity before God. He uses a Greek word, sincerity. That Greek word which he uses, elikrinia, 
was used to denote either unmixedness, something that is not mixed, and purity, or sincerity and uprightness. So here Paul gives himself as an example of purity, of sincerity, and that's what we are looking at. And Paul now goes on to say that if before God is living a life that pleases God. Of course, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, remember the story of the man who had relationship with the father's wife. We know Paul talks about elikrinia, and in that context is better translated as impurity. It is very, very important. And when Paul uses that word in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, to describe himself as Timothy, not as peddlers of God's word, not as people who are peddling the word of God, but as people of sincerity, people of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God. Paul was describing himself in terms of sincerity, but then we know that the context can surely accommodate ethical purity. So as those who speak from God in the presence of God in Christ, the character of their entire lives will have to be pure. That's what we're talking about, pure lives. Remember, Paul told Timothy, he said, keep yourself pure. That's very important. So when Paul is talking about purity here, he's talking about the life that brings honor to God. You see, their lives could not be such as that of the peddlers with his bag, the peddler with his bag of salesman streaks, not at all. Paul was forthright. He testifies that the lives of Timothy and himself have been such of high character before the Corinthians and before God. Nowhere is Paul's use or understanding of purity as important as in his use of the temple imagery or temple metaphor. We see that Paul uses that metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and then of course in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, we see in those two places he uses the metaphor to refer to the body corporately as the temple. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he uses that word temple for the individual person. That is, you see a juxtaposition by Paul between the individual and the community. What concerns us at this point is the fact that Paul talks about the purity that the body, that believers are the body of Christ and they are the temple. And what do we know about the temple? Of course, we know that the temple is supposed to be pure. The temple is supposed to be clean. The temple is not to be contaminated. So Paul talks very clearly about the temple, calling the believers the temple of God. And the implication is that the church must be people who are holy. You see, the church must be people of God who are holy. We have the distinction of being the people of God. And purity is what must characterize the temple. You see, the claim that the church to be holy demands that the church be an effective agent 
of revealing the love of God, the mercy of God, of reconciliation. If the church is truly holy, it must show in its behavior. So it must show in purity of speech, purity of conduct. It is a life of purity that Paul is talking about. Again, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where Paul presents the cleansing aspect of holiness, where he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. The Greek word that Paul uses here is used only here in the scriptures, in the New Testament. And then he says, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Now, when we are cleansed from defilement of body and spirit, that means purity. And then he says, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. So Paul says, we are to make holiness perfect in the fear of God. What is Paul saying here? Paul is calling the Corinthians, who are both God's temple and people, to live up to their calling. Their lives must be characterized by purity. Again, let's remember, the basis for Paul's exhortation in chapter 7, verse 1, lies in the fact that believers are now the recipients, were the recipients of the promises enumerated in chapter 6, verse 16b, where God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's in first, Second Corinthians chapter 6. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul reminded the Corinthians that they have been washed. They have been washed, sanctified, and justified. Here Paul is addressing those who have experienced the initial renewal so that in Christ now they have his righteousness. They are in the light, no longer walking in the darkness. They are now believers. They are now the temple of the living God. They are the sanctified people of God in that they have been set apart to belong to God in Christ. They are consequently in a position to be confronted with the ethical imperative that they can be expected now to fulfill. Their task as believers now is to so cleanse themselves that they become holy in an ethical sense. We are called unto purity. We are called unto holiness. Again, let me remind us that these words could mean different things in the sense that we could say, well, there's a distinction between purity and sanctity. But let's know that all these words overlap. And again, at the end of the day, the goal, as we have said earlier on, is to make sure that our lives are acceptable to God. So when Paul demands for the cleansing of the flesh and spirit, it's a reference both to the physical body as well as to the seat of emotion and will. What's Paul basically saying? The total life of the believer is to be rendered free from anything that will make us objectionable to God. We must live our lives in such a way that we are free by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
through the transforming work of the word of God, that we'll live our lives free of anything that is objectionable to God. Paul is basically exhorting, encouraging the Corinthians to show outwardly the expression of their lives, for their lives to be conformable to that which their salvation life actually is. In other words, Paul is saying there is to be no phase, that is, no particular aspect of the Corinthians' life that is to be ignored in their efforts to make themselves clean. God is calling us not to uncleanness. Not to uncleanness, not to impurity, but to holiness. That's what we're told in First Thessalonians. God is calling us to purity. And Paul is saying that by carrying out this cleansing process, they will increasingly come to be in the likeness of Christ. In other words, holiness is not just instantaneous, it's progressive. We grow in it. Cleansing in this passage definitely involves the proper use of the temple, which is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, through which God is to be glorified. We are made holy by the cleansing of every defilement. While we live a life of reverence to God and for God, where we submit to the Lordship of Christ, in fact, Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, that the Thessalonians will stand before God at Christ's return with hearts blameless in holiness. Now, we see that another language there. So we talk about cleansed, blameless, or cleansing, or purity, or holy. All these words point us in the direction that we need to live our lives in a way that mirror the holiness of God, that people see us and see the beauty of Christ in us. Let's remember that song. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus is seen in me. You and I are called to holiness. And as we say it all the time, let's be reminded that this is not holiness by struggling. This is not holiness by trying. This is holiness by trusting, by surrendering and yielding to the Lordship of Christ. This is holiness by the grace of God. This is holiness provided for through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is holiness that is possible through the grace of God. It is not by might, if we may quote Zechariah, it is not by might, it's not by power, it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And when you read Ezekiel, God says, I will remove the heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. It is God who can do it. If we yield ourselves, if we allow him to do it, he is able to. Holiness, purity, 
the same goal, the same end. Let's remember, Jesus says it very clearly. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Only they shall see God. When he talks about pure in heart there, it is not ritual purity. This is talking about ethical moral purity. Our hearts can be made pure by the grace of God. Again, we very much appreciate you joining us. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate. If you have comments, don't hesitate to drop your comments on my Facebook page or just write an, whole, write an email and send it to holinesstalks at gmail.com. God bless you till we see you again.